Uh, I'm going to dive into James this morning. If you have not been at Vintage in a while, or maybe your first time guest, we are in the second week or two, week two of our fall small group campaign going through the epistle, the letter of James. And, uh, and so we looked last week at verses 1 through 12 in your Bibles. You can turn this week. We're looking at verses 13 through 18. I have a couple of things I'm going to say, and then we're going to uh, dive into the message. Starting in verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly light, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. We might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So let me just give you, just tell you up front, we're going to be talking about sin this morning, right? And a lot of you grew up in, uh, in churches, in more traditional churches. You've heard of 1,055 messages on sin, right? You were told why you were sinners and why you were going to hell. You were told all this stuff. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm the worst person in the history of the world, right? And so we're going to talk about sin this morning because that's where James goes, right? James talks about the nature of sin because us understanding sin, processing sin, dealing with sin, I mean, it is, it is, is a, priority for us living our life. But let me start here this morning. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'll wake up in the morning, um, I'll literally be in the middle of a prayer. I guess I was praying while I was dreaming. And so I literally woke up this morning with a word from the Lord uh, that literally, as I heard it, I, I immediately, like, my eyes shot open. There was great clarity in mind, and I began to pray. I began to pray for Randall's team. I began to pray for my kids. I began to pray for myself. I began to pray for you. And the word I heard from the Lord, it was, I mean, not talking super clear. I, I wish, like, you know how that moment when you have the aha moment that you know you have it and nobody else has it? You know what I'm talking about, the aha moment? And you're like, but I, I, you know, that's what I had this morning. It was like that aha, super clear, God speaking. He just said, as clear as I'm talking to you, the enemy is moving and he's subversive. The enemy is moving and he's subversive. And you understand subversive like subversive is that sneak attack. Because I look at my life in the context of sin, and I'm sure some of you are like this. Like, there are like the familiar sins that I know when the enemy is going to come at me, he always comes with this thing, right? There's like this familiar sin. It's the door. It's like, if he's going to come and knock on the sin door of my life, it's usually one of these few doors. And I'm always super aware, like, I have these doors laid out in front of me. I see them, right? But the nature of what I felt like I was saying this morning is that's great that we're aware aware of these super clear doors in front of us, but are you living aware of the subversive nature of the way the enemy is moving? You have to be aware. You have to be aware. And I thought, like, and it literally, when I, when I heard it, and I heard the voice this morning and began to pray, like, I forgot I was talking about sin this morning. It was no connection in my own heart or mind. That, Like, I, I realized later, like, oh, my gosh, I'm talking about sin. That makes sense. God's talking not about the familiar sin that you're used to and that you're aware of, but God is coming and speaking this morning to us about the nature of, like, the enemy. It's subversive. But let me hear this. Let me, let me say this this morning, and I want you to hear it. In the nature of this, what we're going to look at even this morning is that ultimately our vision, our direction of our eyesight, the place that we look is always going going to be primarily Jesus, but I'm living aware of sin. 
So even in the nature of being subversive, I don't just turn around, take my eyes off of Jesus and start trying to find the nature of sin. It's just this. You teach your kids this and you teach them how to drive. You focus on the road in front of you. Just make sure you look in all your mirrors. Right. Be aware of what's going on in the mirrors. Just be aware of the car that's coming up behind you. that might sneak up being your blind spot. So you're always being aware. And that's the nature of what I want you to think about in the context of this word is our eyes always need to be on Jesus. I don't want to be focused on sin. Doesn't make any sense. I want to focus on Jesus. But I do want to be aware that the enemy is subversive. He's smart. He's bringing sneak attacks in the context of my life. And we need to be aware of it. You're like, oh my gosh, Steve, what do I do? How do I handle this? Let's just go back to last week. Because like, you're sitting like, oh my gosh, how do I figure it out? And say, well, just look at Jesus. Just look at Jesus. And say, Jesus, okay, I'm aware now. I'm looking in the mirror. I'm looking at you. But I'm like aware in the mirror. I don't know what's going on and where that fits in my life. But I'm asking, we say last week, if you're struggling and need wisdom, ask and God will grant it. So all I'm saying to this morning as we kind of dive in, this is kind of a message for the message, what God's speaking in the moment, is I just want you to ask God for wisdom. God, I can't put my finger on it, but I believe that's true for me. There's something subversive, some sort of sneaky way the enemy is just trying to infiltrate my life with a half-truth and a half-lie, kind of leading me someplace. You know what I'm talking about. That's, that's the best way he likes to work. He likes to do the smoke in the mirrors over here, right? The big, like, ah, you're like, no, no, it's super obvious to say no to that. But I have to be aware of, like, what is this subversive way? What's the sneak attack? How is he trying to sneak his way in? And just ask the Lord to put a big Jesus flashlight on it and ask for wisdom. Okay? So message for the message. That's why I feel like God's speaking in the moment. That's happening right now for many of us in our lives. And God just wants us to be aware and not be caught off guard this week in that. And so just be aware. It'll be super great and you'll be super excited that you recognize it. All right. Here we go. So one of my takeaways in studying James was this. And we said the very first week, or actually two weeks ago, James is written, right, to the entire church that's, that's living outside of Jerusalem. Remember, there was persecution in Jerusalem in like the dark of the night. All the Christian families got all of their possessions and all of their stuff, left their home, left their jobs, left them family. And they just went off and out into the region outside of Jerusalem so they wouldn't be persecuted and killed. Right. And so when James is writing his letter, or his, his epistle, he's writing to all of these people. So what's happening then is that James basically has to think runners like, you know, like carrier pigeons. He's like runners coming back, or just people who are coming back from that region and coming back and reporting what's going on with believers in the church outside of Jerusalem. And so when James is writing this then, right, he is writing an overarching message to thousands of people covering issues that everyone may not be individually dealing with in the moment, Right? Like, he may be writing about trials last week. People are like, no, no, I've gotten through my trials. I'm actually doing pretty well, James. Thanks for that, right? That's not where I am, right? But he knows there are pockets of people who are dealing with everything that he's writing about. So one person reads trials. So last week, literally, I had people coming up to me, texting me, Facebook messaging me, you know, all this stuff saying, my gosh, the message this week. And others are like, eh, that's good, right? It's like, because I wasn't where you were. But the nature, the nature of reading letters like this 
is that when I read something, when they read something, when we read it today, we may say, that's not where we are. Or they may have said, that's not where we are. But the truth that God is speaking through James in the moment is, but when these things occur, I want you to be prepared and I want you to be ready. And so this morning we're talking about temptations in a second. We just read it. And I want you to recognize that may not be where you are today, but it's coming. And God is saying to you, I want, listen, I want you to listen today because if you will prepare yourself today, then when it comes, you will be prepared and you can succeed when that moment comes. And so in this, in this, James is beginning to speak into the moment. And the phrase that I want to start with is the first two words of verse 13 that says, when tempted. Look at that. When tempted. In this, the idea for James last week is that just as trials, we said last week, will be part of your life. And hear this, in how we handle those trials will affect our growth into maturity. So too... When you experience the temptation of sin, which will be an ongoing part of your walk with Christ, how you handle it will affect your growth into maturity. That's the heartbeat of what James is trying to get at. When you face temptations, when it comes, how you handle it will ultimately define your growth into Christ's likeness. And so I want you to be aware of this. You've got to be looking in the mirrors, y'all. You'll have to be aware of the, the in your smoking mirrors up here sin and be aware of the subversive pieces of what the enemy is trying to do to steal, kill, and destroy. And I think the part about this that I think it's, that I just want you to remember is that we can never forget Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, that tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, but he was without sin. Like, does that even mean anything to you? Have you ever thought about that on the screen? Like, like, have you ever thought about the nature of Jesus and the writer of Hebrews, whoever he or she was? Like, we have no idea. It's like the idea of Jesus having been tempted in every way that you're tempted. Like, you ever sat back and just done a list over the last ever how many years of your life and all the temptations, the sin that you've faced in your lifetime? Like, have you ever sat back and thought about how exhaustive that list may be, right? And you're looking at that list going, man, that's crazy that literally Jesus, according to the writer of Hebrews, literally wrestled through all of those just like me. So what I want you to hear me say, this is really important. And this, maybe you didn't hear this earlier on, the messages around sin, but like everything that you struggle with, with temptation, Jesus said, I understand. Like there's an identification. And I don't know about you, but when I get to these sin moments, I always feel like I've put myself in a hole. Maybe I'm completely alone in the moment. And to know Jesus is like, no, no, dude, I've totally been there. I get it. (laughs) Right? Like that is that means something to me. It means I'm not alone. It means there's a level of compassion. There's a level of understanding. And that's the point. The enemy's primary goal in those moments when temptation presents itself, we're going to look at here in a second, is to say, hey, you're all alone and you're by yourself. You're the only person in the world wrestling with this right now. And Jesus goes, No, 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 no. Right here. Look at me. Remember, don't look at me. I've been there. And scripture tells us he he went through that and did had no sin. And the idea is he's a model for us saying, so when temptation comes, you don't have to give in. 
You don't have to lose, right? James wants to make it clear our growth into, into maturity. It will have, when temptation comes, it will have the obstacle of sin to contend with in all of our lives, just as it was in the life of Jesus. Like, don't ever forget, like Luke 4, remember that, remember that great moment when Jesus got baptized by his favorite cousin John, right? <clears throat> and they're like, this is great. John says, oh my gosh. You're the one we've been waiting for. He's the Messiah, right? And he goes down the water, comes back up, and then a dove comes and lands on his shoulder. We're like, oh my gosh, look at that right there, right? And then the voice of the Father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You would talk about a great moment in the history of Jesus' life. Boom, right there, right? It's fantastic. And then scripture says, and now Jesus full of the Spirit, was led by the Spirit to go hang out with Satan for 40 days and be tempted by him, right? And like, you're like, uh, that's a, that's a killjoy. That's a downer, Jesus. Why would we do that, right? And the idea of him saying, because it's so, listen, because it's so important for you to understand that I understand what you're going through. Identification. And he goes in and man, he was victorious. And what does Scripture say? And Satan left and wait for a more opportune time. How would we say that? And Satan just waited until he'd come back and he thought Jesus was weak enough to give in to sin. That's what he's saying. Now he's going to come back. He's coming back, right? So Jesus is living this, this life, modeling for us what our life's going to look like. We end those moments. There's this obstacle of sin that we'll be, we'll be dealing with. And James is coming. This is like post-resurrection, post-coming of the Holy Spirit, right? Post-being empowered by God's Spirit, saying you're going to continue to wrestle with temptation. So let's be honest about it and talk about it and not pretend it doesn't exist. Let's just press pause. You don't hear many messages anymore about sin in the church. Because, man, it's not a sexy message to preach to grow your church big. It just ain't. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, let's talk about, just do a sin talk for the next four weeks. Like, I ain't coming, man. It's like, I'm going fishing, right? It's like, you just don't want to come. I want you to tell me why I'm awesome and how to get better at being awesome, right? That's what I want to hear from you. But the idea is like, James comes and says, no, no, it's super important. You're dealing with trials. That's great. But you're also giving in to sin. Let's talk about that because that is keeping you from being who God created you to be. So let's talk about it and give you hope. That's all we're talking about it. So I want you to get super excited this morning we're talking about sin. I want you to get super excited. I want you to go, this is awesome. I love talking about something that Jesus thinks is important. So let's talk about sin because I want to be who God wants me to be and be mature in the way he wants me to be mature. So verse, first thing we see, verse 13 God is not the origin of temptation. God's not the origin of temptation. So here's the thing. If you've read, if you've read this, like you know, Scripture, James is silent on what the argument is that's being made outside the church of Jerusalem. Like he's speaking to someone or some church or some people about their perception of why they're experiencing temptation, right, and why they're giving in to temptation. There is some level of argument they're making that basically kind of blaming God in some way that that's why they're experiencing temptation, right? The idea, well, like, God made me this way, right? That kind of argument. Well, God made me like this. I mean, I'm tempted because this is how I'm made. So, I mean, it's kind of on Jesus why I'm giving in because that's how I'm made. 
made. Or this language over here saying, well, God orchestrated this temptation so that I could grow, right? God did made this come in front of me to be tempted by it. It's his work to cause me to grow. And James just very succinctly and very directly opposes this in verse 13 by saying, listen, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Right? He's just saying God doesn't can't be tempted by evil and he can't he can't lead someone to be tempted by evil. Right? God isn't the author of temptation. The idea for James here is simple. Hear this. God cannot lead us to something that's morally opposed to who he is. He can't lead someone to be enticed by something that's literally the antithesis of his character. He can't lead people to sin when everything inside of him literally is opposed to and opposite and he can't give into it, right? It's simply like this. So I am absolutely 100%, like hopefully all of you in this room, morally opposed to slavery. So if someone comes up to you and says, well, I've been hearing to the grapevine that Steve's been leading people into slavery. Because that's just what he's doing, right? That's kind of trying to help people, like trying to lead people into that. I'm like, no, I'm so morally opposed that knowingly I would never, ever try to lead someone in. Because I'm so like, that's the antithesis of what I believe and how I honor human beings. And so... I don't understand, and Scripture's silent, but ultimately somebody said, listen, you can't blame God for your temptation. You can't blame God for the weakness. You can't blame God. It's not on him. The blame is going to come back some other place, and that's what he leads them to in verse 14 and 15. He comes in and says, temptation has its origin in our own evil desires, in our own brokenness. In our own evil desires, in our own brokenness. Now, we were each born into a sin nature, right? Like a propensity to sin. And in all facets of the church, there's this big phrase called total depravity of man, right? Whether you're in Reformed camp or you're Wesleyan camp, that means anything to you theologically. Like what they would both say is, yes, we all agree in total depravity. Human beings apart from God will never make a decision that will lead them to life. They will always lead themselves to death and brokenness. Total depravity. We all, theologically, in the history of humanity, in the history of the church, we've all agreed on that one tenet. We all have a sin nature. Paul called it his flesh. It's inside of us. And the idea is very simple. James would basically be saying, in this moment, right, in this moment, we all have this sin nature, this broken place inside of us. And when we give our lives to Jesus, that voice stops being the primary voice in our life. Who becomes the primary voice? Jesus. He's the primary voice that we hear in our life. But this selfish nature, this, this, this place of evil desires, it will be in us dying a slow death as Jesus increases and we decrease. Unless you just keep on giving into the voice and listening to it, and then that voice actually continues to grow as the voice of Jesus begins to wane. And we find people who do that, give, just give in to that voice so much, they fall into stuff, and like they can barely hear God's voice anymore, right? And so James is just naming a reality we all face, right? Inside of us, there's this desire, this flesh part of us, this part of the sin nature. And when temptation comes, this alluring away, it's feeding on and speaking to that, that desire inside of us. So let's just all press pause again and just recognize, am I a human being? Check. 
Was I born with the sin nature? Check. Did that completely go away when I gave my life to Jesus and became a new creation? No. I have a new nature, but that old nature is still present and does not go away. It's in the process of dying until Jesus returns or we die and go to heaven. So we're all wrestling with it. James is just naming it, right? When you're tempted, when you're tempted. So in this, right, temptation feeds on our own desire. The language, which is really great for me, the language that James is using actually is fishing language. Like, he's literally using fishing language. In the Greek, it's actually fishing language. He's like, you're being lured away in the same way that a fish is lured to a lure that's enticing it to eat on it, right? We're going to look at that here in a second. But this idea of, like, this luring and the temptation, it's speaking to this internal desire trying to lure us away. So it goes on in verse 15, 14 15, it says, desire inside of us is an enticed. And once we're enticed, we then either choose or not choose, and we, it gives way to sin in our life. So I want you to see the equation of sin in our life. We're going to look at this here in a few minutes. But desire, like temptation, feeds on our, this, this desire inside of us. Our desire is enticed, and we have this moment of tension, then it gives, then we choose, then when we choose yes to it, then it gives way to sin. Again, the analogy of fishing connects with our experience with sin. Think about poor little fish, right, just swimming around, right? Swimming around, doing his thing, and all of a sudden, in front of him is this worm on a hook. Like, you've seen the cartoons, right? You've seen that little, like, hook like this, little worm just going like this in the Disney cartoons, right? Fish is like, oh, my gosh, right? I just feel like I'm drawn to it. It's like, oh, I just had this desire inside of me. Like, I was just swimming away. Just keep on swimming, keep on swimming. All of a sudden, worm, oh, hey. What's up, man? What's going on? Right? You're looking at this worm. It's like, I'm, I, and this desire is like, it's and like, and all of a sudden the fish looks at it. And like, I literally, like I do a lot of fishing, especially in April. You sight fish, which means you see fish, you cast at them. And I literally, I had this worm, I tied onto my hook. And this is the truth. So I literally sit there and I'll cast it in and I'll bring it to the place where it is. And I'll just do this. And I will do this. And I will do this. And I'll watch that fish get like, like, like I'll watch his body shake. And he'll like, all of a sudden he'll swim around in circles like this. And all of a sudden, like a missile, he'll come swimming right through that spot, pick up that worm, and my line goes, right? And I'm like, I got him. I got him. I won, right? I totally enticed him with my lure. He was so drawn by his desire, and I won. Reel him in, right? Big old five-pound bass. Mm, victory, right? It's like, man, that's how it's so awesome. But you understand this exactly what James is saying. like, hey, guys, you're all fishermen. You understand how this works. This is the world we live in. This is what happens. This is what happens. You know your life, right? You know your life. Temptation. In this moment. In this moment. Right? It comes in and, and in this moment for us, we're sitting there in our own life. Defines our experience. Like I just described your experience. You know it. You're sitting there going through your life. Just do minding your own business, and all of a sudden, something presents itself. Something you see. Something that you hear. An opportunity presents itself. And that part, there's, that, there's that part of you like, oh, oh. Right? I could go, oh, man, it feel really good right now just to vent my frustration about this person who's on everlasting nerve, and we're going to talk about how we're going to pray for them, right? It's like we have these moments. You could be anything. 
And we're like, oh, you're like enticed, right? And you have that moment of like, God, I know I probably shouldn't. But God, that worm just looks so good. It's like an easy meal. Like fish, fish are lazy. They like easy meals. We're lazy. We like easy meals, right? We're sitting there in the moment going, oh, whew, I know the right thing. And all of a sudden, we're like, just come over here. You're like, okay. And you give in. And you know what happens. You know the feeling that comes with it the remorse that comes later, the tension, like, oh, my gosh, whatever it may be. And you find yourself in that moment not having walked away, and you should have. Like, can you just imagine James? Like, do do you see, like, I know you read the Bible so often, and it's really hard to make it personal sometimes because it was a couple thousand years ago. But can you just imagine if James is sitting up here going, guys, I get it. I'm actually tempted in the exact same way you are. I get it. So when I say this, I have compassion for you. I want to understand. I want you to, this is my story. Like, I'm not immune to sin, guys, right? Like, I'm not up here going, you better or else. I'm saying, no, no, let me invite you into my personal story. <laughs> I, I love the fishing analogy. It helps me because I'm a fisherman, so I can explain it to you all, right? Like, I get this. I understand this. I face it every week. Describes our experience. We can or cannot walk away. And then in verse 16, I just love what James does here. Again, he's just so direct. He says, just don't be deceived. Right? First two words, don't be deceived. Like, don't be deceived. And I love that. Here's the point. This, this, these two words, they're a middle point between what he's just talked about in sin and what he's about to tell you of what's available to you when you resist sin, which is the good and perfect gifts from Jesus. He said, you can either give in to sin and it can be detrimental and you don't grow, or or you have the opposite side over here, which is you can just recognize you resist sin and what God has for you are good and perfect gifts. There is an alternative. It's not just don't sin or else. It's, hey, don't sin because what you have over here is beautiful and it's perfect Gifts. Here's the point of James. This isn't a message about stopping sinning. This is a message about the alternative gift that's available to you in victory to grow into Christ's likeness. His message is about the good and perfect gifts, not about stopping sinning. That's the beautiful piece. It's like, I don't sin, and that's, oh, that would have been so great. No, man, I just regret not. No, don't sin because this is available to you. Good and perfect gifts. Jesus is making it clear. Sin is keeping us from spiritual growth. Sin is keeping us from spiritual death. We must be in the mirror looking at our desires, looking at our temptations, the big things, the subversive things, right? we got to definitely stop blaming God and say, well, it's his fault that this is happening in my life, right? And for our conversation today, I want to make it clear about temptation. Like, Temptation enters our life, and it has three sources, ultimately. They see Jesus came and was tempted by the enemy. We're tempted by just things in the world, and then we are tempted by our own evil desires. I'm not going to dive into all of those, but the reality is this. Of all of these things that tempt us, and this is the point I want you to hear, none of those three things can make you choose sin. None of those things can make you choose sin. Satan can't make you sin? Hear that. Satan can't make you sin? The devil can't make you do it? Like high schoolers, your friends can't make you sin? Oh my gosh, this is so hard. I just had to give in. No, not true. 
People can't make you sin. The world can't make you sin. Your own desires inside of you, they can't make you sin. You choose sin. You choose. It's your choice. God puts the responsibility on you, saying, no, no, no. Like, I, like, enemy can't make you do anything. He can come and put out, like, the, he can put out the stuff before you, but ultimately, you're the one who makes the choice. No one can make a choice for you. You choose to make a choice, either for obedience or disobedience. James is getting us saying, guys, you have responsibility. But here's the part I want to, to talk about in the nature of the equation of sin uh, that, he, that he makes here. And I want you to hear this. Temptation to our evil desires, like that shows that there's still the sin nature inside of us. But temptation itself is not sin. Right? Like temptation shows I have the sin nature, evil desires inside of it. But temptation in and of itself is not sin. Look at the look at verse 14 and 15. I want you just to see this it says each person is tempted. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire. And they're enticed, right? The fish comes up, right? Swimming along, all of a sudden, they see the worm, and they're pulled away to it, their desire inside of them, right? And after the desire has conceived, not more like, okay, yes, sin then is birthed. And so I'm getting at so often, even as I was a kid, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just feel so drawn and enticed by whatever it may be. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, and God's like, you haven't sinned yet. Like, you're enticed. It shows you have a broken place. You need, like, it shows you need to grow. The enticement and the desire, it shows there's still the sin nature inside of you. You need to grow out of, but you haven't sinned. Sin is the moment you say, yes, and you move towards it. Why is that important? Because to be honest with you, some people, man, they get lost in the temptation itself and going, I'm just the worst of God. And the enemy's like, I got you. He wants to tell you that you're that you have fallen into sin because the temptation is just not true. Again, God has compassion in that moment, right? In that moment, he'll speak in and say, no, 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 there's victory. No, 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 I, I see you're enticed. I see that. I know it. I get it. You're human. You have that broken place. And I get it. Hey, good and perfect. Get, listen to me. Listen, listen. Yes. See this over here. You don't want that. Yes. That was a close one, Jesus, I know. Glad you didn't fall into sin. Temptation was there. Hey, we've got to do something about that. You've got to continue to grow. And the beautiful piece is this, y'all. As you continue to say no and to say no and say no, what happens? Then sin begins to lose its power. Sin nature begins to die inside of you. By saying no, you are starving your sin nature, and it begins to wither over time and lose its power. All of us. I mean, do you, do you recognize that path? Do you see the progression? In verse 17 is alternative. God's gifts to you and alternative, they're perfect. James gets to the heart of his portion of teaching, right? He, he wants to get people to be aware of and to be honest about their desire. He wants them to be looking at the subversive nature of the enemy. He wants them to be aware of the very obvious things in front of them, right? He wants you to be looking in your side mirrors and do, making sure you're turning while you're doing your journey focused on Jesus, right? He wants you to be aware of these things, but he wants them to focus primarily on the alternative, which is available to them, to them in Christ, good and perfect gifts, 
Like I just realized a long time ago, if I focus on not sinning, I always move towards the thing I keep focusing on. It's like in a car. I'm not going to sin today. I'm not going to sin. 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 I'm like, ah. But if I just focus on Jesus, I find myself leaning towards Jesus. That's why I say, look on the good and perfect gifts. Make that what you focus on. Be aware of it. Don't listen to the enemy saying, this is so enticing. It's so much better. It's not. Focus on me. Focus on my life. Focus on my breakthrough. Focus on my gifts. Focus on my fruit. Focus on the reality of breakthrough. Focus on who I am. Because when you do that, you just find yourself leaning towards it. Don't be like, don't live sin conscious. Live God conscious. Just live aware of sin. Right? Don't live... Let me say that a better way. Live God-focused and sin-aware. Don't live sin-focused sin and God-aware. No, live God-focused and sin-aware. James is saying, that's what I have. That's what God has for you. These good and perfect gifts. Swim towards God. Right? Swim towards God. What he has is good. He came to give life. And his life does not end in regret. It leads to salvation. It leads to breakthrough. It leads to, to his maturity. So when you face trials of many kinds, hey, ask for wisdom. When you face temptations, be aware of sin. Be aware of the nature of it. See what's happening with it. But recognize the alternative is available to you in Jesus. Let's make that our focus and ask for wisdom. That's what he wants to do. And so as we end our time, go back into a time of worship, ending early this morning, my question is this, what is the allure for you? Don't focus on Toby. I know he's good looking. Look at me. It's such a distraction. People can walk up, people can stare at you. What is the allure for you? What is the thing that's obvious? What is the thing that's subversive? Like, how do we know subversive things? Just some practical things. These aren't written down, so I apologize. I'm not exhaustive. But it's like, anything that causes me to isolate myself is probably a subversive work of the enemy. Right? Anything that causes me to live offended towards people because of past rejection where they haven't been nice to me and all I can see is the negative piece of that person, that's subversive of the enemy. When I live at this point of just only being able to complain about life and can't see the positive in anything, that's the subversive work of the enemy. There's multiple other subversive things, right? It's like friendships that you're in, lies that you believe. I mean, we could spend all day talking about money and the allure of money and the things that you do that actually are... Like, there are things that you do every week with your money that are actually opposed to what you theologically believe, but you just pretend like it's not there. I'm just telling you. How you spend your money, what you spend it on. Like, do you ever... This is the big one. Give me grace. But be honest, it's like, when you spend money, do you ever ask Jesus if it's okay? Do you ever ask him if it would be better to give it to someone who's in greater need than you? Do you think about the poor who have nothing across the world when you spend money? Or are you just thinking, well, I earned it so I can spend it? 
That's the subversive work of the enemy. It just is. There's no, there's no American dream in the eyes of God, Joel. He didn't make that up. That's not his dream. It just isn't. I'm not trying to get on to you saying, oh my gosh, geez. I'm just saying, like, just be aware of the subversive nature of how the enemy speaks with things that can control our hearts. Why do you think he created tithing and offering? Because I, I don't want money to control you. So all I'm getting at is, I'm just naming that because that's such a common one in our culture. And I'm just saying, be aware of it. Be aware of how you spend your time. Like, listen, pay attention. Everyone pay attention. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. I'm really going to be done when I say this one. Years ago, we did a sermon. I did a sermon here at Vintage where I talked about priorities in life. And I had you lay out your priorities. And here's the thing. Pay attention. In your life, you have a stated priority list and then an actual. The stated for all of you is God, spouse, children, uh, family, friends, job, friends, kind of shifted in there, and hobbies, right? That's actual what God's designed kind of list is of priorities, but is that how you live your life? So if we live something other than that, then we're believing subversively and creating a lifestyle that's lacking maturity because we've got it out of order. I've told you the story before. When I flew into Orlando, Florida, to take my job as college minister there, I flew over as a bass fisherman, and I saw literally 10,000 lakes. I counted all of them. It was like heaven on earth. I literally got giddy inside of myself. And I said to the Lord in the moment, I saw it. I saw the, that subversive nature of the enemy. I said, God, I'm moving to the bass fishing mecca of the world, but I commit to you to be an awesome husband first and an awesome dad second. And I will not fish until you release me. Four years. Four years. Never fished. Like, I'd go down with my kids to our little neighborhood pond, but not like real fishing, right? Four years in. You know what happened at four-year mark? My wife looked at me and said, it's time for you to fish. It's time for you to fish. That sounds silly, right? You're like, that's a silly story. It meant everything. Like, it's like in that moment, God, I have my priorities, the subversive nature of the enemy. It's like, well, I have rights, and I'm spending time, and da 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 right now. It's like, no, God, my call is to love you, to love my wife, and to love my kids. That's what defines me. What are the subversive things the enemy's trying to lie to you about to keep you from being who God's called you to be. And you have to begin to let him speak into those pieces. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you. I just thank you, Jesus, that you weren't afraid or embarrassed to talk about sin. You weren't afraid of what it's going to do to your numbers and your followers. Now you just recognize, no, no, no. This is the primary way the enemy works is to steal and to kill and destroy in the context of people making decisions. They kill, steal, and destroy them. And so, Father, today I pray that you would maybe do a shift in people as it relates to sin. Like seeing it as big as it is, but at the same time seeing it through the lens of your cross and your resurrection 
in your grace and your mercy and your compassion. They see it in the weight that it is, but they see it also through the lens of your love for us. And that you're speaking this message to say, hey, sin's a huge deal, but this is a bigger deal over here. God and God's good and perfect gifts that are available to you. So recognize this. Don't choose it. See its source. Move forward from it into the fullness of what God has for you. So Jesus, make us super comfortable talking about sin, but celebratory talking about the good and perfect gifts of Jesus. Come Holy Spirit. Do not, don't resist the voice of Jesus. Some of you have this that sense that you're resisting his voice this morning. And just with great compassion, I say, please, please don't defend yourself. Don't let a little judge run out on you. Say, no, 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 you can do what you want to do. Don't, don't listen to that voice. Would you open yourself up to Jesus just to hear the things that are alluring you, the things that are pulling you away, the things that are enticing? Would you be honest about those things, whether they're sexual sin, money sin, just time sin, whatever it may be? Just be honest. Let Jesus be honest. Don't resist him this morning. Father, have your way. I invite you to respond this morning.